Welcome, everybody, to the Eyes on Big Podcast, your go-to Big Ten football podcast, brought to you by the Amador Whiskey Company. I'm your co-host, Jeffy the Greek, joined this season by... This is Jordan here. Jordan, are you on Twitter? I am on Twitter. I'm Jordan Eggleston on Twitter at JWEggleston7. And I am Jeffrey the Greek at Jeffrey the Greek. Thank you so much for listening and downloading the podcast. Uh, speaking of people listening and downloading the podcast, I don't know how many uh, Penn State and Iowa fans are going to be listening and downloading this podcast. Uh, probably going to take them a couple days, if not never, uh, for them to do that. Uh, obviously, we will get into those games to to break down. Um, I, I It would have been nice if uh, I for sure uh, had the most annoying weekend out of the two of us, but uh, mere hours after we recorded uh, our last podcast on, on Wednesday night. Uh, by the way, I got that thing downloaded and on, you know, 9.30, 10 o'clock local time. I don't know why it took till the middle of the night for that thing to drop for some people. I'm just going to throw that out there right uh, now. You know, these, these these platforms are weird. Sometimes yeah. they... They got to get their ads in there, you know. They I think that's sure what their it ads is. are spliced in the right spots. To yeah, they're, they always seem to be like the worst possible spots that they drop them in there too. Yeah, and that's and then and then the funny thing is, it's mostly on Apple. Apple, coincidentally, is the platform that we have no issues with for audio. Right. Spotify, folks, I still don't know what's going on. I know we all of a sudden turn into demonic possessed podcasters uh, two thirds of the way through the thing. I've got no explanation for you. I've tried everything. Uh, but anyways, the thing I was trying to get to is as soon as we hit uh, or out mere hours after recording that podcast and putting it out, uh, Spygate, whatever you want to call it, happened in, in Michigan. Uh, so we weren't weren't sidestepping it. We just literally did not know that was going to happen. So um, you're the you're the quote unquote Michigan man, uh, certainly the Michigan fan of this podcast. Take it away. Give me your thoughts and I'll I'll maybe supplant a little bit. Um. You know, I think we, we talked about it a little bit before we started here. We're going to treat this kind of like the Mel Tucker stuff. We There's football to talk about. We'll touch on this a little bit, but we're going to we're gonna treat this the same way as everything else. We want to wait till more information comes out. But from what I've understood, the Michigan side of things, they're standing on the fact that they didn't do anything outside the rules. They have admitted to a lot of different people that, yeah, we're pretty good about getting signs. Sure. But they also believe that they've done it within – the letter of the law. So I don't have anybody close enough to tell me otherwise, but the people that I list, like the podcasts that I listen to, all of them are hinting that the the university and the program itself feel extremely confident that this is a nothing burger. So uh, my take on this is uh, very similar to what my take is on a lot of these news drops, which is um, trusting my gut. My gut is that the NCA has it out for Jim Harbaugh. My gut is Jim Harbaugh has probably brought a lot of this on himself uh, by being a combination of a weirdo and an, an arrogant weirdo where he just, you know, sticks his thumb at the NCAA. Uh, probably for the most part, from what I've gathered with the NCAA is you just appease them with the crap that everybody knows is is BS, and then they kind of get off your case. I think Jim just is the type that's like, yeah, but I'm right and they're wrong. And he, he draws a line in the, in the sand and says, screw you. And I think this is where a lot of this has come from. I, I mean, well, is that... I, I mean, the fact that the notice of allegations to the University of Michigan came from the president of the NCAA. It wasn't an office. It wasn't a, an advisor. It wasn't a chief operating officer of some division it was the actual president of the ncaa that told the university 
that these allegations were coming, that this investigation was starting. So the top of the food chain is literally the mm. person that said it. So yeah, there's a, there's an exit grinder. I mean, Jim's been the most vocal coach on a lot of topics. I mean, he yeah, was just too. out at Big Ten Media Gaze talking about players deserving revenue sharing. You think the NCAA wants to hear that? Yeah. And maybe they told him so, to shut up. And he, I mean, it's a, it, that, like yeah. with all these stories, there's there's a little bit on both sides that are true. I'm sure that Michigan's doing some things that they shouldn't be. And like you said, I think the NCAA's got their panties in a bunch because he won't conform to what they want. And I, I hate to keep using this example, but I'll stop using it when it stops making sense. Um, you're trying to tell me this stuff doesn't happen in the SEC, especially, but honestly, all around. Um, and as far as this, the, this um, sign stealing, by the way, it bursts some great memes. <laughs> you you got to admit that. Um, for yeah, there's some good out. ones out there. <laughs> um, but it does happen. I mean, you sit there, and if you think you can read the other team's signs, you're not doing your job as a head coach or coaching staff to not take advantage of that if it's there. I mean, I, I, 100%. I, I, I would hope the Iowa staff and any one of our, the staffs of these teams would be doing the same thing. But then there I do is have the, to shout out so – we, we said the memes were great. There was one thing I saw in particular that I have to shout out that was just epic. Ohio State, Penn State this weekend, there was one lone Michigan fan wearing yes. all his maize and blue gear in the middle of the Ohio State crowd with a sign that said, I'm just here to scout. Okay. Now, that one was good. I thought the one you were going to go with was an Ohio State fan that was holding up the sign that said, Jim Harbaugh stole my other sign, which oh, is those were a, all double that's too, a double entendre. That's a double entendre. First one I saw in that was pretty good. So anyways, uh, we will see what happens with this uh, as time moves on. Certainly, if something big happens, suspensions and stuff like that, we will we will report on it as honestly as we can, knowing that, you know, Jordan's a Michigan guy. One of us will be pretty honest, at least. I'll try to be unbiased. All right. Let's go ahead and talk about the football. We had six Big Ten games this weekend. Two were early, three in the afternoon, one in the evening. We will save one of the early games for last. Two teams were idle this week, the Maryland Terrapins and the Purdue Boilermakers. All these games took place on Saturday, October 21st. First game up, Rutgers 31, Indiana 14. The Scarlet Knights with 315 yards of total offense to the Hoosiers, 279. Not all that different than pretty much exactly what me and you predicted on Wednesday for this game. Yeah, the only part of this game I thought that was a little different was the fact that Indiana got out as early and as much as they did and hung around for as long as they did. Because this game was a little in doubt a little longer than I thought it would be. But then, you know, a lot of games going on, I was flipping back and forth. And at one point I looked up, I'm like, oh, okay, there it goes. Rutgers took took off again. And shockingly, what do you know, Michigan State fans, plug your ears. It it happened on a block punt again. They blocked another punt that swung all the momentum, and then it just snowballed again. This Rutgers team – it's just they've got an identity and they're yep. sticking to it right now. And it's it's fun football to watch. Yeah, they feed off of big plays and turnovers, especially if it's a big play turnover. Uh, another thing that I think happened here was uh, Greg Schiano and the offensive staff said, we are going to do whatever the bleep it takes to put points on the board. I don't care if we don't throw the ball, which is how you get a five of 12 for 39 yard passing stat for Gavin Wimsett. Oh, did Gavin Wimsett have a horrible game? No, he did not. He had 16 carries for 143 yards and three touchdowns. That is my proof that they, they just said whatever it's going to take to get this, these six wins, get to a bowl is, is what they were doing. And, and I just want to say, 
I don't think that's as easy as people maybe think it is. They stuck with it and got it done. So shout out to Graciano and the and the staff for for being stubborn to that thought process. Well, I mean, I, I think they finally came to the realization, like, look, Gavin Winsett is a great player. He's not an elite passer right now, but he's a great athlete. So between him and Manungai, we've got a good dual threat option yes. here that can really cause problems for some teams, and they're starting to show it. Now, the only worrisome part about that is he's taking a lot of hits doing that. And if he gets dinged, what does it look like after that? So good on him. They got the bull, the bull eligibility now. That's got that's the number one thing for Rutgers. Yep. But now I worry mm-hmm. the schedule gets pretty stiff. Going yeah. For the Scarlet Knights, if if Wimsat gets dinged, does this go off the rails fast? So they got to be careful with it. They need yeah. to be smart about his carries. But he does need to carry the ball like he has been. But I think they're idle next week. So yeah, the they do have an idle week this week. But then after that, yeah. it's the Buckeyes. So well, <laughs> you kind of wonder if it's like well. If he's hurt for a couple of these games, is it really going to matter? So let's just right. make sure we get it there. Um, yeah, the fun guy, Calvin Ungay, 24 carries, 109 yards. Team rushing, 276 yards, 5.0 yard average. The Hoosiers, it was it was quarterback Brendan Sorsby, 15 of 31, 126 yards, one touchdown, one pick. They didn't they ran the ball pretty well, 29 carries, 153 yards. So good on you, Hoosiers, for coming out into the game. Trying to get after Rutgers, go after and get the win. Uh, it is now 6-18, uh, my local time as we're recording this. We've heard no news on Tom Allen. Uh, I do I do hear uh, his buyout number getting thrown out there quite a bit. We will see uh, uh, how that goes. But I do want to give Indiana credit for like not falling asleep behind the wheel completely. They came out and, and looked like a competent football team to start the game. Yeah, they haven't they haven't quit yet. I mean, I mentioned in the preview that this is an ultimate quit factor game. You know, you could, if this team's quit on them, we'll know. But you see guys like Aaron Casey, you see guys like Andre Carter. I mean, seven tackles, nine tackles, a couple TFLs, and those guys are still playing their ass off. So, yep. I mean, they haven't quit on Tommy Ace. So that's good to see. With the win, Rutgers moves to a bowl eligible six and two. The Hoosiers fall to two and five. Moon into the afternoon. Here we go. Minnesota 12, Iowa 10. <laughs> the Gophers with 239 yards to the Hawks 127. I believe Iowa had eight second half yards. That's right. The Iowa Hawkeyes had eight more yards than me and you did in the second half of this game, Jordan. Um, all right. Uh how do we do this? Do we talk about the big play now, or do we talk about the game a little bit and then the build up to the big play at the end? How you how you want to do it? Um, oh boy! So why don't why don't you let me go for a minute here, and I will kind of I'll kind of break down what I saw from the game because obviously yep. you have a much different perspective on the game than I did being in Kinnick. Um, we didn't learn anything new about the no. Iowa offense besides the fact that Deacon Hill just. He just is what he is. He's yep. not a very good I – mean, he throws the ball well, but he has no freaking clue where it's going. Does he? Does he throw the ball well? Okay. I mean, yeah. There were some good passes. There, there, there were passes in this game that we haven't seen from him yet this year. I mean, he made a few throws where it's like, okay, there's yeah. something, and then the rest of them were just – Yeah. But I was, I was very disappointed in the Iowa rushing attack. I thought, you know, this Minnesota defense is good, obviously, but the strong – Ides that we had seen from this rushing attack, I, I expected to see a little bit more out of yeah. it, and it just seemed like they could never get any no. kind of rhythm going. It was it was tough to watch at times, but I mean, 
Yeah. There, so there's there's no excuse for eight yards. No, 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 absolutely not. There's there's no excuse for that. No, I mean Iowa's passing game is an absolute literal dumpster fire. There is no help coming. I know we the idle week is coming up. Iowa fans might be mostly happy with the idle week just so they're not forced to watch the Iowa offense for one weekend. I mean, honestly, that's my read on the situation. Uh, the rushing, as you said, absolutely horrible. Um, and not to get too analytical in it, but Iowa's been doing a lot of hat on hat, pin and pull. They did none of that here. This was all the zone blocking crap that Iowa's been doing and, and Minnesota absolutely shut it down. Speaking of Minnesota, um, they had the perfect game plan, uh, one thing I'd want to give myself a little bit of credit for is that I, I well, I, what I said was if this game goes over, it's going to be because of Dragan Kesevich's leg and, and booming field goals. Now I was thinking that with them pairing it up with a touchdown in the game, no touchdowns for Minnesota, but what they did not do is hurt themselves. And they took advantage of Iowa's mistakes. Not only was Deacon Hills passing stats, horrible 10 of 28, he he is uh in uh turnovers were horrible. Peck at the end of the game, okay. The fumbles, the lost fumbles, you just cannot do that. However, Minnesota also took the the ball, didn't turn the ball over, got close one time, and they made the field goals. And there was a time where Minnesota's kicker did not make the field goals. They have a kicker this year. He was absolutely the player of the game for for Minnesota uh, across the board and there's something to taking the advantages in the shots and not trying to do too much that leads to the big play for Iowa's defense so they 100% deserve credit for staying clean and getting out of Kinnick with the win they deserved to win the game you know for that game plan it'll be tough for me to separate you know some of the Iowa fandom in me with other parts of this game I'm going to do my best go for fans um, but one thing I would point out is that it was 10 to three at halftime and Iowa was up in this game, most of the game. And I saw, I was able to reload Twitter at halftime. I saw a lot of, I'm done with Fleck and, you know, screw this offensive coordinator stuff and Cali McManus is all that crap, you know? Um, so I saw a lot of that stuff, but it all goes away when you actually win the game. And that's exactly what Minnesota did. Yeah. I mean, the, and like one thing we say about this Iowa defense all the time is they lull you to sleep and they want you to make a mistake. You got to give Ethan credit for that. Correct. You know, it was 10 of 25 for 126. Didn't do anything fancy or spectacular, but he didn't have that bone breaking pick that just nope. always seems to happen in this game. And you had Darius Taylor back. You had Zach Evans, 10 carries, 16 carries, 59 yards, 44 yards. None yep. of these are like stat buster things. But in a game like this, when you know that Iowa's offense is struggling the way it is, they just kept moving the ball and they just kept kept themselves alive. They kept yep. themselves, kept themselves in the alive. Game. Yep. Got, 40. got a shout out, Daniel Jackson, seven catches, 101 yards. That dude's a monster. He's, he's, good. he's a hell of a player. I, I mean, before, you know, on our Wednesday breakdown, I said they have two good running backs and watch Daniel Jackson. I mean, it's exactly what it was. Uh, 45 carries, 113 yards, only a 2.5 yard average uh, when you throw it out there. But holy cow. Their front seven was just relentless. Four sacks, eight TFLs in this game. Um, so, you know, for people that didn't see it, I think it seemed like a lot of people watched that game, uh, but it was, you know, 10 to 3, 10 to 6, 10 to 9, 12 to 10. I mean, it was just field goal, field goal, field goal. Iowa kept playing the Iowa way and then punted deep late in the game. I don't know about you, but 
as an Iowa fan, I believe that was the right call. The right call was to punt the ball with, you know, three minutes or whatever it was. Uh, Minnesota goes uh, run for nothing through the ball, incomplete, saving a timeout for Iowa, runs the ball again. Iowa stops them. And then the punt and the play heard around the world, or at least Big Ten, you know, portion. Um, so punt the ball to Cooper DeGene. Um, I think he's darn near close to being a shoe in for an all American Cooper DeGene waves his hands. I'll start with that. Okay. Uh, the ball lands miraculously does not go out of bounds, bounces to Cooper DeGene even more miraculously. He gets out of like six gophers that were right there, darts across the field, runs into the end zone for a touchdown. To presumably to give Iowa the lead and, and the win. Um, side note, uh, my wife, uh, Mrs. Greek, not exactly the biggest college football fan, Jordan. She was next to me in Kinnick along with two of our really good friends. She was going berserk. I have never seen my wife go as nuts in a sporting event, maybe just anything in life. I don't think I've ever seen <laughs> my wife show that much joy and elation. It was incredible. And, and that's where I'm kind of at with this is like, I, I, I wish, obviously, number one, the punt return touchdown stood in Iowa one. Obviously, you know, I'm an Iowa fan. That's how I wish it would have went. You know what? I My second thing is I wish that play would have never happened. Because if we just can't move the ball and we lose the game 12 to 10, you just walk away and you say, we suck today. Minnesota was better. We lost the game. We didn't deserve to win it. And, and you go about your life. It is that giveth and taketh away of that Cooper DeGene play that is absolutely so incredibly painful. Uh, pain. Yes, pain. So that is, that's the first couple things I want to say. Now we will get into what is seen as how this interpretation is. I've talked a lot, so I'll pass it back to you. Thoughts that you have as more of a neutral, certainly not Iowa or Minnesota fan. Give me your thoughts. So, it's obviously a huge point of contention, not just in this game, because this this exact situation has come up across the country in several different occasions, and I'm pretty sure it happened against in the North Carolina game last night also. Correct. Correct. Very, 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 very similar thing, and it was not called the same way. Well, just but that's you know and what Jordan's talking about is a Peter, Peter, Peter. That's the typically the general term of 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 waving your uh, uh, teammates away so that it doesn't hit them and you give possession back to the other team. But if the ball bounces or it winds up that you can return it, people typically pick the ball up and return it. It's, it's right. just that typically it's not for a touchdown in a big part of the game. It just so, happened in North Carolina. Yeah. So here's, here's my take on what happened. Obviously we know the situation. We know Cooper's running towards the ball all pointing with one hand and waving away. Like you said, Peter, Peter, for us, it was fire. We always yelled fire, fire, fire. Yep. To tell him, get away, get away from the ball. It's left hand waving, never arm, never over his head. Correct. Clearly it's, it's a very much a getaway. You can tell what the motion is. So I understand that. Now there's two pieces of this for me that I struggle with. One, I, the, the letter of the law is exactly what they ruled. The rule is, that is deemed an in I forget the exact terminology of it, but it's it's an in it's you're not allowed to make that motion because it's deemed as a sign of a fair catch. That's what the letter of the rule says. The problem I have with it is they didn't call that on the field. That play was allowed to happen. 
And the only reason that, that this ever happened was because they reviewed and they only reviewed because they thought he stepped out of bounds. So in my mind, and this is the baseball player in me, the baseball fan in me, they went into this play and they completely relitigated the play for no reason. Mm-hmm. Letter of the rule, it's the right call. The way yeah. it happened is completely wrong, in my opinion. And that's Had they where... they it dead on the field, I would have agreed and said, okay, and that's, that's the letter of the if... rule, that's fine. And if the second he fielded it, the whistles blew and the play stopped, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. And it would be like, what the heck was that? Um, So I'm with you there. Uh, Here And then here's the other kind of weird things. If he received that ball three yards infield, where it was never even in question that he stepped out of bounds, do they review it? I don't think so. Not for that reason. I don't think so. If it was not under two minutes, if he ran it back for a touchdown and there was two minutes and one second on the clock, would they review the plays? The review the play? I don't believe they do. If he did the well, same thing, they play, review every scoring play. So. Okay. That was the next thing I was going to say. What happens if he got tackled at the one and a half yard line? Would have they reviewed the play? So what you're telling me is that because he was close to the end zone, it was at the end of the game and he returned it for a touchdown. All of those three things conspire together to now over-litigate it, to use your term, and take the touchdown off. You can't make that make sense to me. That is absolute. And, and again, I'm I am a I'm a biased Iowa fan. I'm but but again, Jordan, like I've I, I've seen this on Twitter. It, I my general uh, percentage is it non-Iowa or Minnesota fans. Somewhere around eighty percent of people that watched it said it was BS. Like neutral neutral people. Another thing, of all of the football you have watched, because I know my friends that we check with, have you ever seen that ruled and called ever in your time watching football? I can't think of anything in my recent memory. Now, obviously, you've seen 10,000 different clips come out of other situations where it's happened, but I don't remember watching the game live where that's happened. And apparently it happened to Wisconsin like five years ago. I'll be honest with you, I don't have a memory of that. So those are all the questions. Here is another Pretty interesting nugget of information. I'm I'm curious to see. Coaches for Iowa explicitly explained to the media after the game that before the game, Cooper DeGene and LeVar Woods, special teams coach extraordinaire, talked to the refs and said, went through them with what they are looking for, for their calls and signals and what they will deem a, a, a fair catch or not fair catch. They went through these hand signals. Cooper DeGene did the hand signal that was that was given the okay for them how to signal it not being a fair catch. He never went above his head. He pointed and said, get away with the other arm. The question I would ask, what can any punt returner do in this situation? Are they literally supposed to hug their own chest with their arms and run towards the ball? I'm being serious, Jordan. Like, how... No, I, I understand. I get what you're saying, and you're right. You're right. It, the The logic of it doesn't. It just doesn't seem to make sense. I mean, I and like I said, I I agree with the way it was officiated and the way it went down is completely wrong, and that's the whole reason that that this is that I hate this. And I understand that the rule is the rule, and I've I've read the the rule that everybody's posted the with the 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 the, the sub the subheading all the way down to whatever. Bylaw yeah. number that it is. I've seen the rule and I understand it by letter of the law. Yes, it's the but right what, call. But but my question, real quick, my question is: 
it talks about hand gestures. That's what your definition of is is. What right. is a what is a permissible hand gesture and what's not? You can't describe that into that great a detail with these right. bylaws. Somebody had to make the decision to say that's an erroneous wave or signal and make that choice. To me, again, I, I admit I'm a, I'm a I'm a biased Iowa fan, but to take that play away from the kid it is like hating sports and fun. I mean, I don't know how you can come to that. And I don't think, I think everybody in Minnesota would fully disagree with I, you right now. <laughs> and, 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 and by the way, if I'm a Minnesota fan, listen to this, I'm obviously pissed that of what I'm saying, what Jeffrey, the Greek is saying, um, trust me, Minnesota fans have been coming at me all day. And, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk on that at the end of the podcast. Um, if I'm a Minnesota fan, I believe what I would say is it's a bullshit call, but you know what? The Big Ten makes bullshit calls all the time. We've had bullshit calls go against us. This was a bullshit call that went for us. We won the game. Deal with it. That is exactly what I believe I would be saying if I oh, was. I know for a fact I'd be saying that if I was Minnesota. That's a hundred percent the stance I would have. And they, you know what? That good on them. They had the right to. I mean, yes. fine. Yes, I said. Uh, I said a jovial. I'm eating bacon and sausage sausage the morning of the game, you know, and hey, Minnesota fans, do you know how long, you know, I'm sure it's been a long time since you've enjoyed bacon. They came right back at me on Twitter as they should. It's a rivalry. Absolutely. This is how, this is yeah. how it's supposed to go. That's, yeah. That's if if you're going to be out there talking shit, you got to be able to take it when you lose. And yes. you know, that's part of it. I'm that's all about part it. of it. Yep. And, but you can't be a front runner. You can't be that guy that doesn't well, say anything. And then at the end okay. of the day, you're out there shooting your mouth off. Cause that that's the worst part. Did, did you know where I was going with this? Cause I will say this, the, Minnesota fans that let like loyally follow the podcast and I interact with a lot. I have hardly heard anything disrespectful at all from them. I have got Minnesota fans that I swear you kind of get to know names and icons of people. Oh, yeah, you, you see people. Oh, I yeah. have never seen these people in the entire time I've done the podcast and they have come out of the woodwork. I would guarantee you that a high percentage of them wanted PJ Flex head on a you know, stick at halftime of this game and, you know, after the Michigan game. But boy, did they come out loud and proud uh, once this game was over. But that's... Yeah, I mean, and, and like I said, this whole... It's too bad that this game is going to forever be... Correct. ...with that black mar on it because, right. like like I said, that was... that If that would have ended that way, is it unbiased? It would have been, been incredible. And that's... Me and my wife were sitting there watching it and my daughter was sitting there and just a little sidebar, she loves the Iowa Wave end of the first nice, quarter nice she always asked me when she sees iowa and she's like are they at home i want to see the wave little sidebar but speaking, we of, the, speaking of the iowa wave if you are a minnesota fan that uses this game and uses the iowa wave as a way to make fun of minnesota make fun of iowa you are a special form of asshole that that should be kicked off twitter that's people actually and, did yes, that yes huh? I, oh, I can God. send yeah. send you the tweets that's, even that's referencing those kids up in that house. First of all, yeah. if you go to the game and our tickets are right underneath the hospital, you look up. I get, I cry every single time. I'm, my my wife was complete freaking tears. So even referencing that in a jovial way, that's that's absolute bush league crap. Yeah, it's one of the one of the coolest damn traditions out there for anybody. You're a special kind of human being if you if you want to use that as any kind of leverage. There's, and, a, and, there's a nice place in hell for those kind of people. And there are lots of different ways that you can make fun of Iowa this year. You don't need yeah. to go down that route. So, hundred um, percent. Sorry, kind of got off on a tangent. There, no, it's hundred percent. Okay, like any. Anyways, long story short, like 
Minnesota won the game. The, 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 the pig is not going back into Iowa City until maybe they play next year. So, like, it is their pig. They they deserve to win the game in that, going back to what we said before, they did the, the little things that Iowa wasn't doing to win the game. So I want to make that clear. This is not a stole it necessarily type of oh, thing. Oh, no. No, I don't it's think the, so. It's the, it's the style and funness of what sports is supposed to be. And when things are litigated down to the nubbins with stuff like that, or how, you know, however you want to read through the the bylaws, it, you get to the point w- where you're just saying, what are we doing here? You know, what, what yeah. is going Not on? Not what the game is supposed to be. Like I said, had they called it that way in the field, we'd never be talking about this. It's Correct. just the way the whole call happened that makes it have the bad taste in their mouth. Hey, the one last thing I got to say about this game is this was my lock of the week, the under. Nice. Never in doubt, baby. <laughs> Absolutely never in doubt. Never in doubt. It was windy as, as hell. I don't know if that came through on, yeah, uh, that, on the I, TV. When I, oh, you could see it. Okay. You could yeah, blow. It was, and Pete was using timeouts in the first quarter for a field goal. And they, started, yeah. they said right on the broadcast, they're like, this is smart because with this wind, oh. he needs it at his back for this kick, 100%. Yeah. Uh, uh, we were facing into the wind. All of our, our faces were – it felt like we were sunburned. We were windburned so hard. So in the end – Minnesota gets the win and moves to four and three with the loss. Iowa falls to six and two. Sticking in the afternoon, another little bit of controversy. Wisconsin 25, Illinois 21. The Badgers with 379 yards of total offense to the line. Nice 323. Illinois was essentially up almost this entire game. Two score lead for gigantic chunks of the game. Uh, we're like, well, we, you know, who are these teams? Are they kind of going in opposite directions for most of the game? It looked like Wisconsin was faltering and Illinois had refound their mojo. And then the play happened. Another One controversial, play. another controversial play. I want to give a shout out to my other podcast partner, Big Kurt. He has ranted on this hundreds of times. Like this is his number one thing that he hates, which is it's incredible how often. Uh, these targeting calls, because that's what happened. Johnny Newton hit with a targeting call when he essentially sacked the quarterback or hit the quarterback. He gets thrown out of the game. Momentum goes to Wisconsin. They go on to win the game. It happened. The the number one time we've seen it happen was Clemson, Ohio State, in the college football championship, what, three, four years ago. That absolutely changed the tenor of the game, and I'm still convinced to this day that's why Ohio State lost that game. And, and it happened again. And I got to say, I watched it. I've seen it. Even if it's targeting again, we're, here we are again, even if it's targeting by the letter of the law, it's bullshit. He turned around the quarterback kind of even like went into him. There's no way a, a, a defender when you're moving towards an object and then it starts moving to you, it suddenly doubles in speed for how fast you're going at it. And to have these big 300 pound dudes, you can't, stop you know you can't freeze time and get your head to the side there's it's crap it's just a crap call and it completely the the biggest problem i have with targeting is that there's it's the ejection side of it like the players being ejected from the game for this like i understand you want to take away the hits to the head and i get it completely but college basketball has different levels of flagrant fouls yep why are there not different levels of targeting this could be a targeting one 15 yard penalty because it was kind of around the head or neck i get it okay he should not have been ejected for that there are situations we'll talk about one in east lansing where a player deserves to be 
ejected for a play that they make. This is not that. And this completely changed this game. Like you said, Johnny Newton was wreaking havoc on this game. He, he had six tackles, a sack, a TFL, and a forced fumble. Insane. And that's not even half the stat line. Nope. He was in the backfield on all the, the time. It is every snap. It is incredible when Johnny just says, I, I don't know if he just wakes up that day and is there a certain look in the mirror or something? He just goes, yep, you know what? I'm going to dominate this whole game today. I'm a first, I, today I'm the first round pick. I, yeah. I've never seen anything like it. I've never seen a, you know, stop and start dominance yeah. to, but is he on to the To me, field? it's like we're in 2023. This targeting rule, there's there's got to be layers to it. You can give him the 15-yard penalty because that doesn't change the entire dynamic of the game by removing their best player. I mean, I just, uh, that's what drives me nuts yep. the most about it. And then Wisconsin took advantage. Who are some of the guys that helped him take advantage? Hey, quarterback Braden Locke in for the injured. Um, uh, we might it, have something here. I mean, 21 of 41, 242 touchdowns. We've known that this guy has got an arm and can throw the ball. Obviously, last week versus Iowa, you get thrust into the game like that. That's a tough spot. Uh, the the Wisconsin offensive line did a little bit better job this week uh, versus Illinois. Not, not named Johnny Newton, but like he yeah. had a couple, you know, I mean, he – he had a little bit more time and comfortability to throw the ball, and he looked good. Another thing that helped him out too, Braylon Allen, Eisman candidate, 29 carries, 145 yards, and a touchdown. I was wondering how um, uh, uh, healthy he was coming into this game. Uh, team rushing for Wisconsin, 35 carries, 139 yards. So Braylon Allen actually had more yards rushing than the team itself. Um, so I still don't – I'm not 100% sure – what Wisconsin's identity is. I'm still a little bit confused on that, but what, however they did it, they were able to have a nice mix in this game because I tell you, that is a huge win. That is a gigantic season saving win for the Badgers. Well, the thing about it that I was most impressive to me with Locke was once they started to like spread it out and get more to the air raidy style of offense that they want to run is when he started to look a little bit better. And then that sure. opened things up for, for Braylon Allen. And I forget who the commentators were on it, but I was watching it at one point and they said, well, you know, this kid played an air raid offense in high school. So right. he's used to though. this tempo. He's used to this speed. So, I mean, yeah, we don't know how long Tanner Mordecai is out and he's only going to get better with more time and experience. And now Who man, knows? there's a hell of a there's a hell of a test coming up next week. Yeah, but, for sure. Right. <laughs> but uh, but maybe it's a wall, maybe Wally pipped him in and it's something that's winds he's up. He's only being a redshirt freshman. He's yep. got years behind him. Maybe this is the guy you build on going forward. But who knows? And we're we're, we're going off of one good game. You know, we got right. Oh, sure, sure. We always you know that's college football. We always overreact. Yep. Right? <laughs> that's for sure. That that Fansville commercial where everybody's burning all their memorabilia and going nuts. I mean. It's it's pretty much dead on. This is pretty much how, how yeah, fans oh, absolutely. We'll, we'll get into that when we do the power rankings. Will Pauling, by the way, he is their guy. Seven catches, 95 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, switch to Illinois. The Lukey Legs is good. You know, 13 to 21, uh, 100 yards, uh, two touchdowns, but no picks. Um, and then he also had 100 yards on the ground at a 6.3 yard average. Like that's a good that's a, that's a good day out of Lukey Legs. Oh, yeah. Not that much going on. Um, he, he continues to be pretty much their offense. But, you know, overall, Illinois didn't get the win. Uh, but they, they look better. That's now two weeks in a row where they have looked better. Just painful from Illinois fans that they can't get out of there with a victory. Right. Yeah. And Caden Fagan, freshman running back, yeah. man, he's, he's, he's starting good. to turn. He's starting to turn into something that he's going to be fun to watch here in the next couple of years for the Illini. 223 yards rushing for the Illini at a five point. 
zero yard average. So two pretty evenly matched games, but Wisconsin going into Champagne to get the win. That is a big thing. And that moves them to five and two back in first place, sole possession of first place in the West with the loss, Illinois falls to two and one or to uh, Illinois falls to two and five. The Eyes on Big Podcast is sponsored by the Amateur Whiskey Company. Our unique process takes the highest quality Kentucky bourbon and finishes in California wine barrels. This double barrel agent technique creates characteristics from the individual barrels that are blended together to make an exceptional whiskey. Perfect sip, neat, or in your favorite bourbon cocktail, Amador is the perfect go-to this fall and game day. Amador Whiskey Company, born in Kentucky, raised in California. Sticking into the afternoon, Nebraska. 17 Northwestern nine, the Huskers with 248 yards of total offense to the Wildcats, 257. Uh, uh, Nebraska covering the 11 points was my amateur double barrel lock of the week. It did not hit. I have three losses on my amateur double barrel lock of the week. Two of them involved the Nebraska Cornhuskers. I will not be locking up the Nebraska Cornhuskers <laughs> Huskers in any way, shape or form the rest of the year. I, yeah, commit that to you, my podcast partner, for the rest of the year. Um, I would like to actually give I would like to give Northwestern, in all honesty, a shout out for kicking that last field goal to make it 17 to 9. Because no. at 17 at 17 to 6, I <laughs> I had this at 11 and a half, to be honest with you. That at 10 and a half, where this freaking thing wound up, and I'm still baffled on how this thing went down, but I guess now we know that would have meant me losing the bet or not. So I'm actually, it would have tortured me too much if that meant that uh, I could have covered if I waited later to put the bet in, but did you, did you get it in at 10 and a half? So yeah. I was about to say all of your happiness that they kicked that field goal. I'm equally angry because I did get it at 10 and a half Saturday morning. And I was ecstatic that I got it at 10 and a half. I actually, I, I texted you. I told you I was so excited. I'm like, oh my God, it went down. It's 10 and a half. And I was pissed. And then that happened. And I'm like, I was watching the game That's and I'm told painful. my wife, I'm like, hey, we're 10 and a half here. This is a good number. We're doing good. Right, right, right. She doesn't understand gambling at all. So I always have to explain it to her. So it's, it makes it even more comical. But <laughs> yeah. then they hit that Bryce Kurtz long pass. And I'm like, no, they're going to kick a field goal now. Yeah. Yep. Um, as far as the, the flow of this game there wasn't a ton flowing in this game i believe it was 10 to 6 at halftime off the top of my head i was checking stats i think it was, i think there was 55 yards passing for both teams at halftime of this game neither team excelling at throwing the ball does not surprise me at all northwestern struggling to move the ball in any capacity versus this nebraska defense does not surprise me at all what surprised me a lot was Nebraska struggling to take over the game, rushing the ball. Northwestern was has not been good stopping the run, but it really took Nebraska a long time to get the rushing attack going. That's not what I was expecting to see in this game. Well, I think part of it is Harburg throws those two early interceptions. One of them on him, the other one's a tip ball, so not 100% on him. But I think he throws those two interceptions, and you start to see Nebraska get a little bit gunshy. Yep. Like you said, they cinch it up, right? They cinch it up. And they kind of just said, all right, we're just going to run the ball. And I think Northwestern caught on to that and said, all right, well, if you're not going to throw it. We're just going to load the box and muck this game up. And I think that's exactly what happened. So I think those two picks early on kind of made him a little gun-shy. Yep. Um, yeah, and, and obviously Northwestern can then, you know, smell blood in the water at that point too. And, and they're not as threatened about what's going to happen behind them and stuff. So that is a big deal. Uh, Heinrich Harburg, only eight of 17 for 85 yards, one touchdown. You can live with that. It's the two picks. Uh, I said right. on the podcast, 
Nebraska, I'll give you one turnover. I think if Heinrich Hardberg only turns the ball over, Nebraska only turns the ball over one time, they probably do win this by more, and we both cover in this game. So Nebraska still couldn't quite get out of its way. You know, it's I I I there is a, a debate between Nebraska fans, Jeff Sims or Heinrich Harburg. I think I'm still on Heinrich Harburg on team Har- Harburg, but I tell you what, you, part the big reason we don't want him playing, or we we want him playing over Sims is because Sims turns Turnovers. the ball over. If Heinrich right. Harburg keeps turning the ball over, it gets harder and harder to defend on why he's the definitive starter for Nebraska. Well, I think I but I do think at some point you got to have some packages for Sims because I mean, if he's when he's healthy and he's right, he's a dynamic player. It's yep. just he gives the ball to the other team too much. So I mean, what what's it hurt to have a even maybe give him a drive here I agree. or there, some, something. Yep. I mean, he is I'm not I'm with you. I'm still on Harburg. I still think he's the safer bet. And especially with this Big Ten West and knowing what these defenses want to do and try to take the ball away, you don't need somebody who's as gifting with the yeah, football, right, I suppose, exactly. as Sims. So, yeah. but one thing we do need to shout out here is this Nebraska defense. Holy cow. Eight sacks on the day. Two and a half by Nash. Nash. Hutmacher. Yep, yep, it's a fun one. Two and a half by them. So eight total sacks. This defense was nasty today. Yeah, Tony White yesterday. Tony White has got these guys playing eight sacks, thirteen TFLs as well. Um, Northwestern is limited, you know, for what they can do on on offense. Certainly that plays into it, but not every team Northwestern has played has gotten eight sacks and thirteen TFLs, so they deserve all the credit in the world. Uh, it, it doesn't even there. There was there was new faces playing on Saturday. It doesn't even matter. They just Tony White just rolls these guys in. Uh, Knighton, their defensive line coach, is adored by Nebraska fans as he should be. This team, this unit, just looks in, incredible. Um, and then for the rushing stats, thirty nine carries 81 yards so only a 2.1 yard average for Northwestern but with all of that being said Matt Rule was very complimentary of of David Bryan and how hard and well Northwestern plays like there I do believe they are essentially maximizing everything they can they're just there just isn't enough in the cover to pull these games out for North, for Northwestern yeah exactly and don't look now Nebraska fans but all of a sudden sitting at four and three and this their future schedule, this Big Ten West. Oh, yeah. It's an, it's an yeah. open race, and you've just found yourself right back in the hunt. Yep. Uh, b- before the game, uh, when we were still talking about fun things, uh, you know, pretty much everybody <laughs> in the tailgate was like, you know, we think our two biggest threats are are Wisconsin and Nebraska. I mean, that's that's what we think for who's going to get to to Indy. Minnesota has now entered that conversation, I think, at least a little bit. And with the win, Nebraska moves to four and three. I, I was wondering, when's the last time Nebraska has had a winning record this late in October? I was told 2019 this is the last time they, they had a winning record. So, this is as good as Nebraska fans have felt for quite some time. I'm sure they're enjoying it. With the loss, Northwestern falls to three and four. But that's the crazy thing. This was a contested game. That one game difference is the difference between four and three and three and four, or those two t- records being reversed. That's how close we are with these teams. Foreshadowing again, this will play into the power rankings that we get in later today or later in this podcast. Michigan 49, Michigan State zero. Big old, big old smile for my podcast partner. Here we go again with these stats. 477 yards for the Wolverines to only 133 for the Spartans. So not only is it a blood, it's a shutout blowout. So I'll ask this question for you. Of all the Michigan just curb stomping that have happened, was this the most Kirby stompy game so far this year? 
for Michigan? Oh yeah, one hundred percent. And it was it was the way in which Michigan did it because they weren't having great success running the ball. Michigan State came out and they made a concerted effort. We're not going to let them run the ball wild like they have in the past. And what that led to was a lot of third downs for Michigan early on and quite a few third and longs. And it was just J.J. McCarthy making a back-breaking play after play after play on third down. And every time he did it, it seemed like it was somebody else that he was finding. And you could just feel the air and the energy getting sucked out of that stadium and yep. being that it's a rivalry game. And Michigan State came in as one of the top defenses in the country on third down. Right. And it's and I think it at one no point difference. in the game, Michigan was like nine for nine on third down or eight of nine or something I mean, like it's, that. It's insane. Um, I mean, again, uh, okay, I, was McCarthy 21 of 27? Is that correct for the stat I line? I believe so. 21 of 27 for 287 yards and four touchdowns. I know it was 287 and four touchdowns. I don't hang on. I'm I thought, brain, I thought maybe it was 20. Maybe I had that written down wrong, but I he, have it as 21 of 27. Okay. Also. I, I I think maybe I wrote that down wrong. I thought it was another game where he had as many incompletions as touchdowns. So he was oh. a little bit off the pace. In oh, darn. Game. Yeah. Um, AJ Barner, eight catches, 99 yards and a touchdown. Dude, Colson Loveland. Him, 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 and Cade Stover are neck and neck right now on who's going to get tight end of the year in the Big Ten. Four catches, seventy nine yards, two touchdowns. It just always seems like it's the same play. They get him out into the flat on the right side, and the guy just kind of runs it in. He is looking fantastic. He seems to be getting better any week. Uh, another thing that isn't necessarily getting better every week because it looks the same every week. The Michigan defense: three sacks, nine tackles for loss. I mean, I. I I mean, again, like this is I this is, you know, all Iowa fans at my tailgate. We're talking about Michigan and we're almost just like we're like laughing, Jordan. We're like, we don't even know what what to say at this point. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what to say. Like, it's I mean, as as a Michigan fan, it's 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 uncharted waters for me. I mean, I, I've yeah. seen I'm a little bit older, so I remember the better years in the 90s when it was Michigan was good all the time. But. Still, I don't know if it, I asked the question a few weeks ago if this was the best Michigan team that we've ever seen, and it's just every single week they find more and more reasons to say why it very well might be, and that's it, because to me they're finding different ways to do it every week. It's not the same thing. You know, the last couple of years it was we're going to run it down your throat, we're going to just lean on a running game, and that's not what it has to be this year. Now, I mean, JJ, as far as like stopping Michigan, obviously the goal is going to be to stop their rushing attack and quote unquote for, force JJ to make plays. Here's the thing. He's not making mistakes and he's also making plays with his legs. So it's so, I mean, there was just plays where like he he's getting into that innate ability to just sift his way through the front seven and either run the ball or then throw the ball. I mean, it, yeah. I, it I, oh, and he's, and he's starting to like, he's, this game has slowed way down because of it my, seems like text, it. texting a buddy of mine and, it was the Colson Loveland second touchdown where he threw that seam route. Like literally, it, I think Cal Halliday heard the ball go past his ear hole. It was thrown that perfectly, and he's he's seen windows before yes. they're there. He's he's really progressing. Um, he's still got a little like bit that? of that yellow ball anymore. He tends he there tends to yeah. scramble around a little bit too much and get a little crazy, but you can't you can't take all that out of him. So I mean, I, another part I, of this Michigan team that's just so impressive is the defense. I mean. Yep. They're yep. they're nasty. I mean, I there was a stat online from so it's Colston Connoisseur is the Twitter handle. Is Michigan <laughs> right now would be two two and <laughs> one in Big Ten play 
if their offense didn't score a single point. It's insane. It's just that they would be 500 in Big Ten play if their offense did absolutely nothing. That's as I a, mean, it's as an Iowa fan, we nod when we hear that, um, yeah. you know, but but for you, you actually have an offense. So you don't even have to worry well, about yeah. that stat. Michigan State, guys, I don't know what to tell you. You're probably not uh, listening. You're probably I not think, listening. Anyways. I think this team is starting. You're seeing the quick it, factor. It, I think it's. They, they might be they're 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 gonna keep moving down in my rankings yeah. um you know I still go by some wins and losses I do still see talent every now and then you know like there's a, a couple guys here and there but it 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 just never comes together and we're getting pretty late yeah. in the season uh team rushing by the way 29 carries 49 yards 1.7 yard average for them Kittenhauser barely got over 101 yards it's it's just tough tough night tough night with the win Michigan moves to a very impressive eight no with the loss Sparty falls to two and five. And if you're keeping track, that's five straight losses for Michigan State after starting out two and oh. And that brings us to the big 10 game of the week Ohio State 20, Penn State 12. Buckeyes with 365 yards of total offense to the Nittany Lions 240. Here's my big take. You want here, here's my big breakdown. You ready for this? Both teams. <laughs> yeah elite defenses that controlled the offense for both teams, but Ohio state has Marvin Harrison and Penn state does not. Yep. hundred percent. I think, I, I think I texted you that I'm like the only, <laughs> the only difference in this game and the Iowa Wisconsin game from last week was one of these teams had Marvin Harrison and those two teams didn't Yeah, like that was literally a difference. Two defenses that punched and fought the whole game. And well, there's one other thing about this game that, I got to get out here in a minute, but we'll yep. get there. But Penn State, just the whole game, they could just never seem to be able to get anybody open. Ohio State, for a lot of the game, couldn't seem to get anybody open except for number 18. He was just always found always a open. way to be open. He always found a way baby. to make plays. 7-11. That dude is incredible. Um, and, and, and It was maddening at some points because Penn State was still choosing to, to play man-to-man on him one-on-one. I'm like, it's at some point, I understand I it, but at some point, I know you've got to roll a safety or something but, but, to help I mean, him out. But with that being said, Jordan, we were deep into this game, and Ohio State didn't have very many points on oh, the board. I so I can't say Michigan – I can't say Penn State had a bad defensive game plan. And before we get too far down that path, I want to say this. You know – Ohio State is officially a tough-ass rugged team, okay? This is a tough-ass rugged Penn State team. The fans that have been calling Ohio State soft all of these, you know, past year or two, I mean, there was softness from the Ohio State Buckeyes the last two years. This is not a soft team, okay? Ryan Day getting pissed at the old man after the Notre Dame game. I, I know he, he kind of – right now. I know he kind of overreacted, but I tell you what, just because you're overreacting doesn't mean you're wrong. This is a good defense, and they will come hit you, and they they are winning games like this. They can win games like this. They deserve credit for whatever the, the changes they needed to do, starting last year in the offseason, bringing him Jim Knowles, all that stuff. Give them credit because they can win games like this. Yeah, I don't have a whole lot of criticism for the Ohio State defense. I think – the only thing you could even maybe hint at before this game was they weren't getting a ton of pressure on the quarterback, but they did here. I mean, JTT was living in the backfield late in this game. Uh, their their defense has been nothing short of elite. Yep. Um, I mean, it's so, it is. I still think I still think Michigan's defense is number one. Okay, Jordan, but I do think Ohio State has played a tougher schedule. So well, it's hard. I don't know. The, yeah. So with <laughs> that's the best. That's the best, Jordan. Could do to agree. <laughs> um, um, 
So I, I, I I'm just saying I'm not a hundred percent sure who has the best defense out of Ohio State and Michigan because who knows maybe a little one more team that Michigan plays that has a little bit more to show on offense maybe the stats look a little bit different now the question here is does Penn State actually have that good of an offense it, it, I mean people were absolutely crushing it I still think Penn State has a good offense I want to be clear here with that being said there wasn't a second or third layer for Penn State to get into when Ohio State was bringing the thunder. We predicted on this podcast, I took the under in this in this game, and we both liked the under in this game. We were correct with that. The the Penn Drew Aller took all of the blame onto himself after the game. Awesome that your quarterback does that. I, I commend him for doing that. With that being said, this was a this was a system-wide issue for the Penn State offense. I mean it it just did not have that gear to hit. Well, I mean, this, I, I'm going to say this about both offenses and both play callers. At the certain points in this game, I felt like they were their own worst enemies. There there were times in this game where both offenses were running the ball and having good I success. Agree. I and agree. And then they completely – like at Penn State at one point, there was a 20-yard run, a 15-yard run, back-to-back plays. Okay, well, okay, the offense is moving. What do they do? The next three plays are pass plays. I, I just agree. I don't understand why when the some of these offensive coordinators I know they're they're so trying to outkick the coverage on these like sometimes the best play is the smart play and that's just handed off I agree. to the two backs for for Penn State and, and for Ohio State mine Williams and Chip Trainum I know well. they had the same I thing. agree. I, I feel like it. there was a lot of points I, and yards left out there because these guys got in their own way. I agree. Um, Nick Singleton, nine carries, 48 yards. He had a 5.3 yard average. And and I was texting. Insane. I was texting Perk. I was texting Jake. I'm like, I from what I'm seeing here, they should be running the ball. I don't and they they agreed with me. I don't I I would love to have an offensive coordinator on this podcast in an off season so that I could ask them and, and maybe it needs to be somebody that's retired offensive coordinator. So they actually speak the truth. Um, no, so or I mean, we need to inject him with truth serum, like something. Yeah. Sodium pentothal and be like, why y'all do this stuff. But that, that's yeah. what I saw. Um, and, and then Drew Rowler was off. I mean, there was, there was available throws here and there, but at the same time, the receivers were not getting separation. Yeah. It's part of that because, I don't think the Penn State wide receivers are particularly great. Yes, but also because of how sticky those Penn State defense or uh, uh, excuse me, Ohio State defensive backs are. I mean, two things can be true at once. Um, I don't know, you know, like that's that's what I saw. Um, and and Cal McCord, twenty two of thirty five, two hundred eighty six yards and touchdown. It's not like the stat line is bad. I don't know how McCord does it every week, man. It's he leaves you wanting more. But then you look at the stats, you're like, that's pretty good. He, and he got the win, you know? So, like, I, I don't know what to say there. By the way, what, what uh, and Marvin Harrison, of course, goes off uh, for another 100-some yards uh, receiving and a touchdown. I mean, the guy's just incredible. Yeah, um, 100%. Yeah. You got to mention Cade Stover a little bit, too. Four catches, 70 yards. That was Stover about the good. only other offensive weapon that Ohio State showed consistently. But, again, to me, it comes back to the defense. They had over, over seven yes. TFLs. I mean, they were just the, – the front seven was really wreaking havoc in this game. We talked about JTT. It just seems like for some, some reason, Penn State in the fourth quarter, he just turns into the incredible Hulk and just destroys that yep. team. 
With the win, Ohio State moves to 7-0. and Hard for me to see any other outcome than them being 11-0 and rolling into the big house for an end-of-the-year epic Ask showdown. Oh, sorry. With the loss, <laughs> Penn State drops to 6-1. and And the heat remains on James Franklin. Uh, our guy Jake uh, at CFB Jake, he had an excellent uh, comparison uh, for for James Franklin, comparing him to Mark Richt. Uh, for those that remember the Georgia coach, Amazing success, but just could never get over the top to have the monster season. I, like just firing, firing the guy and just having somebody different. Like who else is out there that you know is going to come in and do a better job than James Franklin? It is not easy to get over top of Ohio State, and now Michigan is a wagon. It, it is a tough road to hoe for any team that's going to have to that has been playing those two teams every single year. Maybe just something different of switching out Michigan for USC is enough to put Penn State over the top. Like, they could be one of the teams that benefits the most, but the Mark Rick-James Franklin comparison that Jake did, I mean, it's it's pretty darn good. Yeah, 100%. I mean, you're talking about Ohio State, which has been one of the most dominant programs in college football forever, and Michigan, who is now back to being what they used to be. I mean, that's that's a tough hill to climb. All right, there we go. Uh, hopefully I'm not putting you on the spot too much. You got some Eisman players that we can uh, rank and talk about and award. Yep, so a few guys we touched on throughout the episode here. Gavin Wimsett from Rutgers, first of all. Not a whole lot in the passing game, but what he did in the running game, 16 carries, 143 yards, three touchdowns, really spearheaded that at Rutgers comeback, I guess, kind of. It was a comeback. They were losing, right? Yep. So And Rutgers, bull eligible. Got to give him a shout-out. Good for Boom. that. Uh, J.J. McCarthy just continues to be impressive, 21 of 27, 287, four touchdowns. Touchdowns. He he might be the player of the week in the game if it was a bigger game opponent type of deal. But, sure, yep, and hey, I will say he is now the number one in the Heisman Not odds, and pretty much on all yep. the gambling sites I've seen, he's now the betting favorite for the Heisman. And obviously, Caleb Williams faltering is another reason. That and that Penix, happened, Penix too. Penix, too. Penix yep. had three picks against an Arizona yep. State team. Yep, went a little, was, went a little limp. Uh, yeah, it was a it was a limp. Couple, Penix. Yep. Nobody likes that. No. Uh, continuing on here, Braylon <laughs> Allen, twenty-nine carries, one hundred forty-five yards, and a touchdown. The Nebraska defense we touched on eight yep. sacks, but it's specifically Nosh Hutmacher. Hutt- Hutt- I can't say that. It's a, it's a, it's Two and a half sacks himself. Seven yep. seven total tackles. That Nebraska defense is all over the place. But the Eisman this week, it, ha- it has to be Marvin Harrison. I mean, we, we said it when we started the game that one of those teams had Marvin Harrison, the other one did, and, and that was the difference in the game. And the question that people were asking was, if you put Marvin Harrison on Penn State's team, does Penn State win the game? And I say yes. I think so. I really I think do. He was, he was the deciding factor in the game because he was the only player that could consistently make plays on either offense. Yeah, so he was absolutely dominant. This week's Eisman, Marvin Harrison Jr. from that team down south. And me thinks he's going to be awarded the Big Ten Player of the Week as oh, well. Oh, I would imagine. All right, that gets us into the highly contested Week 8 Big Ten Power Rankings by your guy, JTG. A little bit of movement at top. Michigan stays at number one. Ohio State goes in front of Penn State for number two and Penn State three. And then I have a line right there. Um, so that is the one, two, three for me. Obviously, you have you got to have Ohio State in front of Penn State. I will say, Jordan, um, there is two ways to look at power rankings, eyeballs and resume. Michigan has the better eyeballs. 
Ohio State has the better resume. If you are a type of person, and and I, I mean honestly, Jordan, I I go back and forth myself. Where resume should obviously matter, the wins and losses should obviously matter, and who you're going against. If somebody wants to rank Ohio State first in front of Michigan, I I honestly would have a hard time fighting against it. This will all work itself out, obviously, in the end. But it's I don't know if anybody's got two better wins than Notre Dame and Penn State that that Ohio State has. No, I don't have anything to disagree with you there. Ohio State's resume is better, and I think what Michigan's done on the field has been impressive. So, yep. And and then this is where the controversy happens. So, kind of hard for me to give the whole rankings because now I just have two tiers: the top three teams and the other eleven teams in the conference. So, all right, here we go. I have Iowa at four. I kept them at four. Wisconsin at five. Rutgers at six. Maryland at seven. Minnesota at eight. None of those teams moved a spot. Minnesota fans have been torching me, okay? Here's the deal. This is getting tough. We're getting later in the year where these teams have played each other, okay? So to move teams up solely based on head-to-head wins, they need to matter. But at the same time, I I don't know how to, to do this without screwing something up. Iowa beat Wisconsin. Wisconsin beat Rutgers, okay? So, like, that's how they've lined up. Iowa six and two, Wisconsin five and two, Rutgers six and two, Maryland five and two. So they all have six or five wins and two losses. Then you have Minnesota at eight. I saw Minnesota just beat Iowa. I did. Okay. I also saw Iowa could be in the lead for that 80% of that game. And this is the same Minnesota team that lost to Northwestern that I have three spots below Minnesota. So the transitive properties with these teams are is getting tough. But at the same time, a six and two team compared to a four and three team should be ranked when you look at the to- the total of the resume and how it looks. Do you have any major concerns? Give it to me if you think if you think I'm wrong here. It, no, it's it's really hard, like you said, because of all the different transitive properties that you're looking at. Now, the thing that you have to consider when you're doing this is it's your power rankings. So it's what we just talked about with Michigan and Ohio State. Are you doing it resume-based, or are you doing it what your eyes say, or is it a combination of both? I'm assuming this is a combination of both of what you're doing. Yes. Now, the way I look at a lot of power rankings is who would I have favored if they played on a neutral field? So, I mean, that's something that I take into consideration with it, too. And I just struggle right now with Iowa at four because of how bad the offense is. But like you said, they beat Wisconsin, who beat Rutgers. In my mind, of those three teams, I think Rutgers might be the best team. I think to one of them. I think so too. I I, somebody said Rutgers should be four, and I said I I don't disagree with you. If somebody put Rutgers four, I I would probably agree because then you could say Rutgers was right with Wisconsin until that that ninety nine yard pick six. You know, like that was such a huge game. But at the at the end, they they did get beat by Wisconsin, right? Like we yeah. we saw that happen. Wisconsin was never didn't have the lead in that game. That has to matter for something. And then Iowa goes into Badgerland and, and beats Wisconsin. Like I don't know, you know, like it's it's tough. And and certainly, I mean, the point that I've been trying to make over and over again is the difference between four through I would say down to nine is is so minimal that maybe could be where I put a breaker there. But that's the general thought process. If Iowa keeps losing. I mean, this is only their second loss, but if they keep losing, I guarantee I'm going to start dropping them down. If Minnesota starts winning games, they're going to pass them. And and that's how that'll be. But for right now, six wins is more than four. 
That's that's essentially yeah. no. I, I mean, at, at some point, winning the game on the field has to matter. And you are six and two versus four and three. And and Minnesota fans are saying, yes, winning the game should matter. We just beat Iowa and Kinnick. So like, you know what I mean? Like, I I I I get it, but but you also again, lost to Northwestern. You, you, lost, to, you also lost to Northwestern. Correct. It's it's got to play into it. Uh, I got Nebraska at at nine. Right, right, right under uh, uh, Minnesota. Why? Because Minnesota beat them on the field. I still got Illinois at ten. I mean, they they challenged Wisconsin. You know, the team that's up at five. Um, this is where it honestly gets tough. I could probably start dropping these teams down to a lower tier. I just kind of kept them all there. I have Northwestern moving up in a loss because Michigan State was in front of them. They look so bad that they outbatted. Uh, um, Northwestern, so they drop below. It, I mean, do you have any major issues with that? I could make an argument that Michigan State could even be below Purdue with what I, I've seen. I debated on that, dropping them all the way down. Purdue's got their issues, too, and then I got Indiana last. I mean, honestly, there's some times where I think Indiana could move further up, even though they keep losing games. In the end, um, I know Iowa's offense is bad, okay? I know it's bad. But their defense is great, and the special teams are elite. So you can't just throw out that Iowa is bad, Iowa's offense is bad, and stop the conversation right there. That's not the entire football team, okay? This and 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 then the other thing I would say, and and by the way, I heard from Minnesota fans that actually backed me up, okay? And they said, I get what Jeff's doing here. You know, uh, uh, it's a totality and, and you know of, of rankings and the resume. The other thing, this is the issue here. Don't get mad at Iowa or my rankings. Get mad that there is no Big Ten team from 4 to 14. That's that great. It's a it's a Big Ten issue more than it's a Iowa, Wisconsin, or Rutgers issue. Is that fair to say? No, I 100% agree. There's, there's six to seven good teams-ish. Ish. Good-ish. Yeah. Like... Iowa, Wisconsin, Rutgers, Maryland, Minnesota, Nebraska are not bad teams. Is that yeah. fair to say? Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. But they are not great teams, right? So they all have some form of flaw, major really, flaw. Really that really is bad. what is like. This is a whole different podcast. We can't talk about it now. But like, I don't know what's going on, Jordan. It's like with these teams this year, and not just Big Ten across the country. It's like there used to be like shades of gray and bad with some of these college football teams this year. There, there's like extremely missing portions of the football team. Like they're just so bad. They don't just turn the ball over. They turn it over like crazy. They can't just throw the ball. They can't throw it a lick. It is, it has to be something with the transfers. I've never seen anything like it. And it's, it's across all of college football. It's yeah, you're right. Like, like you look at Colorado. Okay. They're great at throwing the ball. They can't stop anybody on defense you know like that's i'm just trying to give you an example outside the big 10 they can't even they can't run the ball they can't run the ball either you know and it's not just not very good at they're they're, they're awful at stopping people like Man. i don't know they're, it's it's all over the place now, so. even a higher level example usc yeah, yeah an offense that's amazing can score well, a ton of points and, they, and utah who with a back third string quarterback scores 30 plus on them it's yeah, and it goes it's over it's not just big 10 it's nationwide thanks for the tip jerk that game went that game went over <laughs> Yeah, that pissed me off. I had money on that I, one too. I couldn't. 
I thought for sure Utah's offense is so bad, there's no way they could score that many points. But, of course, USC's defense is just freaking worse. Yep, yep. Um, Well, there you go. Um, I I will be interested to see uh, how Minnesota fans, some of them being my closest friends, uh, are going to react to my my comments on, on that game. Uh, the, the last thing I would add is, is Minnesota fans, I would ask, you know, that uh, you just understand that I'm trying to be real. Like one thing I've tried to always do on this podcast is just be myself. I'm not doing this for, for clicks or, or, you know, trying to make a splash. I'm literally just trying to give you exactly what's in my head. Uh, that crew that were, that was in the, the Iowa, Minnesota game, they weren't just bad in my opinion on that punt return play. They were bad the entire game. There was, there was calls all over that game game both sides that was absolutely awful because that crew is horrible i don't know if you know but they were uh they called jack campbell out last year on they did the iowa minnesota game last year they called him out of bounds he was never out of bounds never even got reviewed that was a touchdown they did the i don't know if you remember this but the uh oklahoma state central michigan game from like the one with the tip the tipped out of bounds play or whatever where they jumped yeah This, this guy this crew that did that and they got suspended for that. So this crew is just junk. It's absolutely junk. We'll see what the big 10 conference comes down with, but I mean, are these people, these, they should not be anywhere near anything that even somewhat resembles a big game. They should be banished to some lower form of league or whatever. But anyways, that's my opinion. I, I don't want to go off on another tip. Jordan, Jordan laughing at me. We got to get out of here, but I you know, guys- we, we- we could do this for a while if we really had to. We, maybe we can have a therapy session if need be. I think this was a therapy session. I'm not saying I'm not saying I feel great, uh, but maybe it was somewhat cathartic, and I needed that. Uh, anyways, um, you got anything else you want to add, big man? No, I don't think so. Put a bow on a on another big week. First, the first of the round robin games is gone. There was some yep. excitement all over the conference, and I, we both got idle weeks next week. So I don't know what to oh. do with myself now. Wow, I didn't. I, I I knew it was Iowa's. I didn't know it was Michigan's. That's Michigan's as well. A double eyes on Big Idol week. That's I don't know if that's ever happened before. Good stuff. <laughs> All right, I am Jeffrey the Greek. I'm Jordan. Don't forget to ask for Amador. This has been the Eyes on Big podcast. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.